You're listening to the Small Business Talk podcast with Kathy Smith. Small Business Talk is a podcast for business owners and entrepreneurs who want a better way to run their businesses without spending years doing it the hard way. Small Business Talk is hosted by Kathy Smith, who has run the same marketing agency for more than 17 years and helped hundreds of business owners achieve their marketing goals. Welcome to Small Business Talk, episode 148. Today, my guest is Amy. Welcome, Amy. Well, hello. It's lovely to be here. And Amy is from The Secret Profits. And today we're talking about how to get your business ready for sale, even if you don't want to sell. So that's a very hot topic at the moment. I think a lot of people are looking at systems and profits and how they can get a business that they love, whether they want to sell it or not. So let's have a chat about that. All right. Well, one of the things that I believe is that every business should be sellable from day one, because, you know, most owners don't always think about when I'm going to let go of this business because you're so busy building the business or working in the business. And and it becomes for some individuals, they're not sure how they're going to separate themselves from a successful business. It becomes part of who they are. And that's one of the things I've observed. Yes, it does. It becomes a very blurry line between you as the business person you as the actual person and where the business starts and stops. Exactly. And with many people, you have so much that you have not committed to paper or you don't have in a system. And because of that, you are the business, which can make it very, very difficult to sell. And so when I'm looking at it, I know if I watch throughout lifetimes. In my case, I have had businesses that I have bought that I have sold. I've had businesses that I've closed. They really weren't viable to sell, but we were able to sell components of the business. So you always need to have that business sellable because at some point, perhaps somebody is going to walk in and offer to buy the business that you didn't plan on having for sale at the time, but the offer is right and it's time for you to move on. It may be because of a disability. Nobody likes that, but it happens. It could be because of death. And then your heirs have to deal with letting go of the business. And the one that most people I hear come back and say, well, I'm going to sell my business at retirement. But there's really no guarantee on the day that you plan to retire that this is the day that the business is going to be sellable. And you're going to have these lines of buyers waiting for you to do this. And that's why I think it has to be sellable all the time. Wouldn't that be fantastic? You could just press the button and say, today's the day and boom. But yes, as you say, I think that's only in the fairy tales. And I guess the other thing is key person dependence. A lot of people aren't actually able to step away for their business. They can't go on holiday. They can't take the weekend off. I was talking to one of our previous podcast episode guests, and he was saying that he goes away for four days off the grid every year. And he'd asked eight other business people to go with him. And one of the guys said, I can't go away for four days. I can't go off the grid. So what kind of business are we setting ourselves up for if you can't take four days out of your business and you have to be absolutely care person dependent? So setting it up for sale can help to eliminate some of that as well. Uh, Absolutely. And I'm going to give you my own story on why this is important. I had a securities practice. I had it for 25 years. I had no intentions of selling that business, but I knew that someday I would want to sell the business. I just didn't know when it was going to be. 
we had what I will call the perfect life storm. Within 24 hours, I had three different things hit. Everything from a relative, my mother-in-law with breast cancer for the third time, closing down a branch office, losing one of my primary assistants, and then getting a notice that my broker dealer decided they didn't want to be in the Virgin Islands anymore. And I had a choice. I could find a new broker dealer within 30 days, or I could move to the US within 30 days from the Caribbean. And this was all in 24 hours. And I had to jump on a plane to go back and deal with family issues. I decided on a plane, you know what? I can't do all of these things. And I don't want to do all of these things. I'm going to sell the business. I hit the ground on Monday. I called an individual and said that I had already been thinking and had a list of individuals I might approach if things changed and told them I'm ready to sell the business. Well, when? Today, we met and that was, I called him on Monday. I just made the decision on Sunday. We worked out the details, met a couple of times. And on Saturday, I had a contract in my hand with the first installment and I sold the business in six days because I had been building this business to be sellable and transferable for years, not knowing when it was going to happen, but I knew it was going to happen. And with some of these business owners that you're talking about that they can't go away for four days, you know, they can't do that. They're the ones that I'm talking about that they are the business, that they are so built into it that if you took that person out of the business, I have a feeling it may not be a sellable business because how are you going to transfer that value and transfer that systems and that ability for that business to continue without them? So really, it's not a business at all. It's just a very expensive job. It can be. We don't like to think of it, but we are all able to be replaced. And, you know, I've lost people in my life that were very, very important. And in our church, you know, in activities that they held pivotal roles. But, you know, when they were gone or are no longer able to fulfill that role, maybe they moved across the country, things resettled, whether it was exactly the way it was before it was done differently or it ceased to exist. So there is none of us that cannot be replaced or things will not resettle with our absence. Absolutely. And like you say, it may be a case of that business actually closes down, or it may be a case of a new owner comes in and does it completely different, or it may be very similar to how it was, but just without you. That's right. And that's where a whole different topic goes along with your business that you can put buy-sell agreements in place. So in the event of a disability or the event of a death of the owner, that you have got that transition plan already in place. Who's the buyer? How are you calculating a price? So that the employees that you have in the business don't start leaving the ship, you know, like it's a burning ship, and like rats running off. No. And it's not that your employees, and even if they've worked with you for 10 or 15 years, and they're very, very good, they have families, They have bills, they have mortgages, they have retirements, they have a life too outside of the business. And if they are concerned that's going to be in jeopardy, they're going to have to leave this business that's in turmoil. And every one of those employees that leaves because they don't know what the future looks like further devalues the business or the viability of it. Yes. So as we're talking about how to make your business saleable, even if you don't want to sell, have you got a few tips for the listeners about where they might like to start? Well, one of the things I think that has really caught us all is think about things that happen that you cannot walk back in your business tomorrow, whether it is from a disaster, it can be from a community issue, whatever the case is, I really encourage business owners, I want you to think 
whether you're bricks and mortar or you happen to be an online or virtual type business that can operate. If I had you walk out of your business this afternoon and for whatever reason, you cannot go back to that location. You've left everything behind. How will you be able to be back in operation within 24 to 72 hours? I can do it within 24, whether it is a couple of hours away, if it is continents away. And all it's going to require for me is an office supply store because I've got the backup plans. I know what I need. If you're a bricks and mortar type of an establishment and your facility was compromised and like, again, it could be a disaster. It could be a fire. What would you have to have at a minimum to go either across town or if it is a regional type disaster several hours away and pick up and start up so that you can resupply or what can happen? And I had an individual that really fought this and it was an eye opener in many ways. Who are your suppliers? Are all your suppliers local? Because if you're all in the same community disaster, your suppliers are probably out of business if they don't have a very good contingency plan. So I believe that even when you're starting to put components together, you need to look at your suppliers and you may need to have suppliers that are in a different region, in a different country, in order that whatever you are doing, you have got a mechanism that if you've got to start over somewhere else, whether it's temporary or long-term, that you are going to be down a very short period of time and that your employees also, this is the plan, this is what we're going to do, and that you can move forward. So my test would be to any business, shut your door. I want you to walk out and tell me what is the bare minimum you need to be up and running in 24 hours to 72 somewhere else, and you could be back in business versus going, oh, what am I going to do? No, do it before you need it. And it makes a huge, huge difference. And that's when you can't leave the facility. Do you want me to give you a couple of other ideas? Yeah, we just unpack that first. So that's great. And I think what we need to do is make sure that we are communicating that to key stakeholders. So whether that be employees or if you don't have employees, if you've got VAs or contractors or even somebody else that could come in and help you if necessary. So if it's a case of you personally can't go back, but you can maybe get somebody else to go back. So bringing in those other key people, and especially if you're a sole trader or you're by yourself, making sure that somebody else knows about your plans and your contingencies. And give them the authority because I, they need to have the authority. You know, what if you, I don't know, you, you went on vacation and you know what? You can't come back. Things have happened. You're stuck here. You know, do they have the authority to even write a check to make a bank transfer? You've got to have somebody else that is not just you that goes back to, are you the business? that you trust who also has the authority to make decisions or to handle the cash flow and the ordering and signing contracts, whatever those things may be that keep the business viable. And payroll, because if you're trying to keep your employees happy, so you don't devalue your business, you actually need to pay them. On time. Yes. Because again, it goes back to they have their own obligations outside of employment. And most of us don't think about it, but you know, your alternate family is your work family. Definitely. Because in many cases, you spend more hours with your work family than you do your home family, depending upon the industry that you're in. Yes, I think that's very relevant. And majority of people do. Okay, so you had a couple of other ideas. What's number two? All right. So when you think about your business is interrupted, Another one that I see that a lot of businesses don't do, and it goes along with being sellable and being prepared, 
what is your backup plan if you have a power failure? Now, I live in the Caribbean. We have those. But we also see that from storm damage or things happen. If you have a power failure, what's your backup plan? Is everybody going to sit around and twiddle their thumbs? Are you going to send everybody home? Do you need to invest in a backup generator? Do you need to you know, have an alternate plan? This is how we have to do this. If we do it manually, how am I going to, if you're an interior, how am I going to handle lighting? How am I going to handle, you know, what, what's your plan? So every business is different, but what's your backup plan in the event that you have an electrical interruption? And on the same thing as that, if they can't actually come into the office, if you've got staff that can't come into the office, I guess that's one of the upsides of the pandemic is most people now have got systems in place so that they can do work remotely or from home. But once again, what's your backup plan there to, to make sure the security is good and if they don't have power? And a lot of business owners were scrambling because they had never really considered this before or all the different components. And then there was a shortage of computers there, you know, all of these things that we have to learn at one time, that was very different. And I also look at what's your backup plan if you have water interruption, you know, let's be candid. Do we all need a bathroom? Whether you have the coffee pot or not, what is your plan? And so how do we make sure that we can stay in business no matter what is happening and we can weather it? And all of those are components to having a business that no matter what is happening, that I need to have a business that's operating and my business is sellable. And that means that I am finding ways to make and have that added value to the business that is far above the brand name or whatever my revenue is at that point. Perfect. Okay, so what's number three? Oh, number three. Well, have you ever heard of the power of 10? Not until you spoke about it before we started. The power of 10 is something that I've come up with to really impress upon some of my business owners how important even some of the smaller decisions are that are going to affect your cash flow, whether that is an increase or a new added expense or if it is a decrease. And I'm going to use one that most business owners have. Uh, Just about every business owner I've ever known struggles with advertising. It's something we struggle with. Now, if I'm spending, for example, $5,000 on advertising, and depending upon your listener, you can make it $50, you can make it $50,000, but we're just going to use $5,000. It's a good number. Now, if I spend $5,000 on this advertising program, And I've decided to sell widgets. You could be selling services, but in selling my widgets, I know that I only make a $100 profit on each widget. Well, in order for my advertising program to have a return on investment and not suck my profits down the drain, I've got to sell 50 widgets to equal the 5,000 that I paid on the advertising program, but I still haven't made any money and I lost all my staff time that was busy doing whatever it took to get rid of these hundred widgets. Now, if I'm not paying attention because I think this is what the other guy's selling or I just threw something out there to fill out a contract and I only sold 10 widgets, I just lost $4,500. And if I continue doing this, and let's say that I'm really bad and I have done this 12 times in a year because I am not looking at my advertising program before I ever sign the dotted line or develop it to know if I'm gonna have a return on investment or not, I can see $60,000 that evaporates or, well, we're trying to get our name out. No, advertising has got to have a return on investment. And if you say, well, I really just want to have top of mind awareness or I want people to know my name. 
great. How do you measure that? How do you measure that you just spent $5,000 and you want people to know your name? You've got to have a way so that I could say, well, I know they know my name because my Facebook followers increased by 25,000. That was my goal. I met my goal and I spent $5,000 to do it. Great. Do those 25,000 people buy anything? Because if they don't buy anything, you still don't have a return on your investment. You've just had an increase in followers. And I see this quite often. And one of the things that I had put together you know, out of my company is going through this, but then also I have a workbook and a formula. So before you ever spend a dime on advertising, you already quantify it and do a couple of quick steps. Is this viable? No, stop here. Do not go forward. Can you rework it? Do we need to go in another direction? And I have seen things that individuals do. And another example was an individual advertised a service and they were so excited because, you know, the revenue was going up, this was working, but they weren't making more profit. And in really looking at how much it costs to provide this service, when we took it a little further on employee times and support, they were only charging 150 but the service actually costs the business $198 to provide. So gross was going up, but every time they sold one, they lost $48. You can't do this. No. No. So I, I would say that. Now, if I go back to that power of 10, so we understand how we got a number. So if $5,000 a month times 12 in a year is $60,000. If I do this for 10 years, that's 60000 It doesn't matter if it's dollars or pounds or if it is pesos, whatever it is. It's 60000 times 10 is 600 Can you yes. do anything with 600000 of anything? And that's how gradually businesses will lose profits that they will never see. And they don't realize it because they may say, oh, well, this is only $100. Well, yeah, but 100 times once a week or 12 times a year times 10 years. All of those things make huge differences on your bottom line by looking at it times 10. And for everything you do, if you want a $6 coffee every day, well, how much is that in 10 years? Exactly. And it changes the flavor of some things when you go, oh, no, that's not worth $34,000 to me. <laughs> that's a very expensive coffee. I love that. And in my other business, Catco Enterprises, that's our mantra, is your marketing making you money? If not, you're doing yes. it wrong. Because that's yeah. exactly what people do. They go, oh, it's only a few dollars here. It's a few dollars there. Oh, I've just met up with this Facebook person and they said I should do this. So this is fabulous. So I'll do it. Oh, I'm doing this. And then you go to them. Well, is your business actually on Facebook? And like you say, even if you had 25,000 mm -hmm. followers, if they're not buying from you, that's not going to pay your bills. And it's those no. little slippages that end up making you in trouble within a very short period of time. So we do need to be watching our numbers. We do need to be knowing what it's costing us to deliver services and making sure it all adds up. And just because the guy down the street's doing it doesn't necessarily mean he's profitable either. Oh, no. And that is one of my absolute favorites. You know, we, we talked about, I mentioned that $150 service. Well, how did you come up with that number? Well, we called around and did a survey to see what everybody else was charging for something similar. So you assumed that all of these people were making money at this. What if they're losing a hand over fist? So you're going to follow this? No, based on what makes you a profit. We don't care if the guy down the street makes a profit. It's okay if he doesn't. It doesn't affect my bottom line. 
but it certainly affects my bottom line if I follow suit and none of us are making money. Absolutely. (laughs) I think it all goes back to the old saying that we used to hear as kids. If your mate ran under a bus, would you run under a bus too? I mean, that's what we used to hear all the time. So if you make down the streets not making a profit, are you going to make a profit? Well, if you don't make a profit, you're not going to have a business for very long. And I think that's where a lot of people get caught up too because they go, well, I can't charge that much. But think about it. If you charge more, what can you do with that money? You can give back. You can help your church or your services. You can give to charity. You can help so many more people. Maybe you can employ an extra person. So money's not the road of all evil. And if you're a good person, having more money is just going to amplify that goodness and think of all the good things you could do with it. So stop thinking about money as being dirty and evil and nasty because you can do good stuff with good money. It's just a tool. It just happens that in our society, things have changed to where we are using money in order to acquire goods. We may not trade fish. We may not cha- you know, trade building your barn or anything else. We may not do that because that happens to be how society has moved. And I picked up on the one comment you made about, I can't sell it for that amount. No, you can't afford not to sell it for that amount. And it may be that you are targeting the wrong customer or the wrong client. Don't want to offend anybody. If you happen to be the lowest priced on something and that's where you want to be. But in many cases, your buyer who is always looking for the lowest price, you know, it's not a nice term. Sometimes it's called a bottom feeder. They're looking on the very bottom for the very lowest thing. That does not mean that that person has loyalty to the business. They only have loyalty for the cheapest they can get it. And it doesn't matter if it is a value or if it has a long-term use. It only matters that the price is the lowest today. And And businesses cannot generally survive on only serving the lower tier of clientele. It's okay to charge more when you're worth more. Yes. And I think it's a value exchange too. So people think about it just as a price. And what you were saying with the lowest price there, years ago, we had a beautician who was a client. There was a lot of beauticians in the local town that we're in. And what would happen is every time the beautician had a sale, she would get all these people come in. And then when the sale was over, they would go to the next beautician who had the sale and they were just going round and round and round in circles. And what she worked out was by not having sales, her dollar value actually increased, the sale per person increased because the clientele was quite different. And the only way that you can really do very well on the bottom feeders and the lowest price is quantity. So you've either got to be a commodity where you've got massive amounts of quantity or you've got to increase your prices and give far more value than the exchange of money that you're getting. And let's go back to that widget example. If you charge the absolute lowest amount for the widget, how many hundreds or thousands of widgets do you have to do versus forget that widget? We're not going to do blue widgets anymore. We are going to advance to the green widgets with wings because the green widgets with wings, we can charge a higher price for and I can have a profitable bottom line. But let anybody buy the blue widgets, but we only do green with wings. So you have to sometimes, you may not let go of your entire market, but you've got to pay attention to where you can be profitable. 
And, you know, sometimes there's a fear of change and letting go. You should have a a harder or a bigger fear of bankruptcy and the inability to pay your bills. That's fatal. Yes. And there's far more stress in that than trying to sell the green widget for a few more dollars than you had before, because you can always change. Try it. If it doesn't work, then as long as you know what that break-even point is, what you have to sell it for, you might be then maybe adding the fairy dust that goes with the wings and then that becomes a much more valuable thing. It might be a case of you have the built-in kit to go with it or the instructions or the video or something like that. Now you've got a whole package and your green widget with wings is now the ultimate green widget package. So sometimes you just need to be a bit more creative. The green widget with wings has additional features and things that it is capable of that the blue widget at the bottom of the tier, it's a different buyer. It's a different buyer. It's a different expectation. It's a different price point. Absolutely. And the car market do that particularly well, don't they? They have their bottom range and then they have the top range with the leather seats and the seat warmers and everything else. At the end of the day, both cars get to the same place. They've probably got the same engines or very similar. It's not that much different, but now you've got seat warmers. And if it's in a cold place, that might be the selling point. That's it. And I laugh when we mention cars. I have seen on so many individuals, you guys, you know that paint that's on the outside or the material? The paint is maybe one sixty-fourth of an inch all over that metal body. That's all it is. It may be pretty, but that's all it is. And when you look at the interior, honey, that's fabric. And you know, they have all kinds of ways you can get fabric or you can clean it, you know, or do things. The color of the paint and the quality of the fabric inside the vehicle doesn't have a thing to do with whether the brakes work, the engine's good, and then this car is going to get you where you need to go safely. So don't always be drug in by, oh, it's just the color I wanted. All right, that's great. But if paint and upholstery could get you down the road, we wouldn't have all the rest of those components. (laughs) No, we wouldn't. And especially with the upholstery, because we could always put seat covers on and change the upholstery anytime we like. Exactly. But it doesn't make the car better. It just makes it prettier. And since pretty makes you think that it's better, it's not always true. So use a good technician to make sure when you're buying your vehicle, especially the used vehicle, that you are not getting pretty paint and somebody has just done a detailing job to make it look better than it is. And then they've put that beautiful coffee smell or the baked goods smell in just to enhance our emotions because, of course, we buy on emotion. That's right. And, and the same thing with our dwellings, with, you know, our houses and our apartments. Just that 164th inch of paint on everything makes lots of things look really better than they are. Absolutely. All right. So do we have a final tip of how we can make our business ready for sale, even if we don't want to sell it? I'm going to take you back to number one. You've got to make a decision that you want to have a business that is sellable and not just give it lip service but actually make the business sellable. And if you don't know what to do, get help. I think that most business owners sometimes are a little reluctant to invest in themselves or invest in the business 
in order to take it to another level. Because as entrepreneurs, you try so hard to know it all, and it's a learning experience. And if you came out of being a wonderful employee, you were not responsible for the whole company as an employee. But when you become a business owner, now all of the things that you weren't exposed to before, like the bookkeeping and the payroll and the taxes and the maintenance on the building and signing contracts and insurance and profit margins and all of these things, you just didn't suddenly get because you said, I'm a business owner. Yay. No magic dust <laughs> fell on you. Oh, so why in- not? <laughs> no, so you need to invest in yourself, but also invest in those individuals around you because you can spend years making bad decisions and costing money, or you can take the shortcut And you can work with a professional who knows the right answers, who knows how to do it, who's already been there and can show you the shortcuts. So with a business, be prepared to invest in yourself, invest in the business with professionals and get rid of that trial and error. Nobody needs a degree from the school of hard knocks in business. Nobody wants it. No. And maybe the professional might have that little bit of fairy dust that they can help sprinkle on you and know exactly the right thing to do. And the other thing, of course, is quite often they have connections. So it might be a case of they actually know somebody or their network knows somebody who may be looking for your business or something Mm -hmm. similar. So you just never know what that can do as well. And I guess the major thing is do it before you need it. So start now. Oh, absolutely. And I have seen those connections work with suppliers oh, you must not know about such and such because you could source this for much less, which is an automatic increase in your profit margins. It could also be a personnel issue. You don't really need this position on staff. You could contract this position out. There could be a different wisdom there on coming into your business. And I know you've heard the phrase before, you can't see the forest for For the the trees. trees. And we get so comfortable in our little bubble and our little world, and this is the way we do it, or this is the way I was taught to do it, that sometimes you need someone else who can come in and say, well, that's works and that's good, but let's try something else. Here's an idea. Or what do you think about? And that doesn't mean the person's going to come in and order you right and left and everything you've ever done is wrong. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to help grow you and help grow the profits and to help you succeed at a different level. But we just want to get you there quicker. Absolutely. And I guess the thing with suppliers too is you've got to take in all the ancillary costs as well. So you might find that a local supplier you're actually paying more for, but you're not paying freight and you can get it tomorrow and you can get that local thing. So sometimes it's not all about the price. It's about the other services that come with that and the other add-on charges that once again, you may not be realizing. So you do need to keep really good track of those numbers and what it's actually costing you, not just the one cost. And as I said, and then make sure that even if you have to pay a little extra for some, that you have got relationships with other suppliers. So if any reason your primary supplier is out of the picture quickly, disaster, business, whatever the case is, they decide to close the business, something happens, that you have got a mechanism to continue on with your business. So don't get caught into the major supplier trap and also don't get caught in the one major client trap where your entire life depends on one account because that is too precarious. Absolutely. Or even when you have multiple accounts, but they're owned by the same company. 
So you need to be really careful about that. And particularly if it's a local thing, because many places you'll find that big families or companies will own multiple different ones. And if they all decide on one day that you're no longer their supplier or they're no longer going to supply you, then that is it. So this has been a wonderful discussion, Amy. We could have this chat for quite a while. But if people would like to know more about you, how can they find you? Well, one of the things that I'll do is I'll put some links in the show notes. And in the show notes will be a link where you are able to download my my free digital book, which is seven solutions to adding 10 to 100,000 or more to your bottom line. That's absolutely free. You know, take advantage of that. And there's also a link there if you would like to schedule a 30 minute call with me and to see if I can be of help or to give you some ideas. So take advantage of that. And I believe that Kathy's show is going to be here for a long time because she's had such wonderful information. And yes, I'm a listener too. And with that, if my schedule has changed and you no longer see the link to be able to book with me, if you send me an email and say, I was on Kathy Smith's show, I will honor that for you. So just in case you're going and you're doing some binge listening, we all have done this at times and you go back and look at a few episodes. Oh, this is so good. The offer will be there for you. Fantastic. That's an absolute bonus for small business talk business. So really appreciate that. So now it's this part of the show where I ask you five questions. Are you game, Amy? I'm game. What is the best advice you have been given to by a mentor? Invest in knowledge. No one will ever be able to take away knowledge unless you have a brain injury. Fantastic. And we don't hope for a brain injury, of course. What is the biggest help you have received since starting your business? Oh, I found a wonderful individual who was able to patiently work with me as I am navigating the internet and learning about Kartra, Zapier, payment portals, pixels, all of the electronic pieces that make the world work that were not my expertise. And most of that's to do with shopping carts. So well done you. Uh, yeah, Kartra, yeah, Kartra building out, you know, an online platform and courses and everything. So the wisdom and the knowledge that that person had invested in, I am now benefiting from. Excellent. What is the one thing that you have to do every day? You're non-negotiable. I would say that prayer and being thankful for something, because I think we all have far more blessings than we realize, but we often take them for granted. So I, I always look for wherever the extra blessing is. Absolutely. And I think writing down that gratitude sometimes brings it to the forefront that we don't realize even when we're having a bad day, we have so much to be thankful for. So just sometimes writing that down and reminding ourselves is a really good tip too. What is your favorite business book and why? Hmm, I've read so many. Who Moved the Cheese many, many years ago? Oh, yes. Yes. It's an old, you know, it's a very short one. It's a very short. I've read so much, but that one I would say has lasting power because even to this day, all right, the cheese moved. Yep. It's very simple. It's cheese moved. It's time to do something else. You cannot keep going back to the same thing over and over again. All of us in every aspect of life. Kathy, I don't know your personal possessions, but for example, do you still own the same couch that you bought the first time? No. How about the same dishes? No. The same wardrobe? No. <laughs> in our, you know, in our personal life, we are constantly changing certain things and dynamics and our health and whatever. And so different parts of your cheese are always moving in business and personal. And that was a very simple lesson, but it stuck. I used to read that to my kids as bednight stories. So none of them have turned into entrepreneurs. So maybe that was it. And our Which final is- question is, what do you wish you had known when you started out? 
I wish I would have known that it is not a shortcoming to ask for help sooner rather than later. I think we try to do too much on our own and we fumble or we get frustrated and we lose a lot of time, energy, and money. So I wish someone would have said, look, the moment that you're struggling, reach out and get help. You will get there so much faster. If you're teachable, I will add that because there are some individuals who are not teachable. True, true. And we do need to be open to that, don't we? We need to make sure that we don't know everything and we allow ourselves to remember that. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Amy. Is there any last words that you would like to tell the audience? Oh, it's been a a pleasure being on the show. And at this point, I would say I would wish for you to be well, to be blessed and to be prosperous, but not all of the things are accidents. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Amy. And we will drop all your links in the show notes. So SBT audience, remember, enjoy the journey. Thank you. Bye-bye. Don't forget to subscribe to Small Business Talk podcast and head on over to smallbusinesstalk.com.au forward slash downloads for all the show notes and links to this episode. Remember, to be great, you must start. Pick one tip from today's episode, take action and implement it. Let's meet again next week at the same time and place. Until then, take action. And SBT community, enjoy your journey.